Well, good morning. Welcome to Faith Church. Really glad you are with us today, whether you're in the room or even watching online. Uh, I want to invite you to grab a copy of the scriptures, whether you've got it in printed form or you prefer the digital variety, whatever you've got, grab a copy of the scriptures. If you want to scan the QR code on the screen, you can do that. Take you to a spot on our website where you can take your own notes Email them to yourself a little later on uh, today, and you'll be able to uh, review the things that we talk about here together. Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be. We've been talking about what does it look like to be the radiant people of God, and we've been focusing the last few weeks in this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6. And talking about how there is a battle going on in our world. There is more going on than what you can see in your natural eye. We are living in a supernatural world where what is physical and what is spiritual overlap, interlink, and move forward. And the last couple of weeks, we've really been honing in on the pieces of the armor. And we're talking about our identity in Christ. And so today... We're going to talk about Radiant Identity Part 2. Pastor Kerry started this message last Sunday, and it did a great, great job. I love that we belong to a family of God, and within the family of God, we have a variety of different gifts and voices, and it's important that we learn how to listen, learn, and be encouraged by all of the voices and all of the gifts that God has given us in the body of Christ. We're, we're not trying to, to create a, a space in which only one person can bring the word. Come on, we are a family and we believe that as the body, we are all ministers and we can all encourage, we can all speak and we can all use the gifts God has given us in a special way. And we got to receive of those last week. And next Sunday uh, for Father's Day, our, uh, one of our overseeing elders, uh, Pastor Dale Jenkins from North Carolina, is going to be here speaking on Father's Day. So bring all the rad dads in your life and get them here. It's going to be a ton of fun, and you're going to walk away encouraged as well. Ephesians 6, are you there? All right, here we go. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, says this, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor. Everybody say all. All. So that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. We've already said that the main strategy that the devil has in your life is to convince you of something that is not true. To whisper lies. To help you form a life and an identity around something that is not true. A falsehood, a lie, and it placates to your own disordered desires that are already on the inside of you. And when you look around society, you see that identity as normalized. It's just normal to live this way. But the people of God are called to live differently, think differently, act differently, and be shaped and formed into something different than the rest of our world. He says, I want you to be able to stand strong against all of his strategies. Verse 12, for we are not fighting flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the uh, unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits 
in heavenly places. Supernatural world we're living in, friends. Verse 13, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. So, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the armor that he's called us to. Now, the armor is not so much about the pieces of the armor. It's more about a way in which we think about the elements of our identity as followers of Jesus. When Jesus comes into your life, there is a new identity that he gives to you. And that identity is the main thing the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy in your life. Moving you further away from God rather than moving you further in communion with God. This idea of identity, it really centers around this question, who am I? What is our identity? Is your identity your job? Is it your family history? Is your identity your relationship status? Is your identity being formed by your financial security? Who are you? Is your identity your gender? Is your identity your sexuality? Is your identity your hobbies and your passions? Is your identity your high IQ? What happens if those are the identity shapers and markers in our life? What happens when those things shift and change? What happens when the job that you identify as, I am a businessman. What happens when your business fails? Your identity hits a crisis. What happens if your identity is a family man, but then you lose your family? What do you do with your identity? Sometimes the most tragic moments in our life are the most difficult to navigate, not because they are just painful on their own, but because our identity has been wrapped up in the thing which we have now lost. And we've been working and being shaped in our life. Who are you? What is your identity really? What happens if your identity is a mother and your children move out of your house? Which they're supposed to do one day. Come on. But now your identity is shaken. What happens when the money that you've put so much effort and trust into accumulating and has given you a sense of comfort and accomplishment all of a sudden begins to dry up? Your identity gets shaken and the enemy begins to attack and assault. This week I came across a quote from a Indian Hindu sage named uh, Ramana Maharshi. 
And I found the quote rather interesting. He says this, the question, who am I, is not meant to get an answer. The question, who am I, is meant to dissolve the questioner. Now, to be fair, I don't think the Hindu answer to the question of your identity is the same as that of Jesus Christ. And those of us who follow him. To, to be fair, I don't inherently disagree with the premise to which he's presenting in this idea. But if the idea is to empty yourself and to become nothing, then we have missed the point. Because according to the Bible, we are in process to become more like someone. But that does require us to dissolve our own sinful, selfish nature in the process. So the process is different, the end result is different, but the idea that asking the question, who am I, is actually meant to lead you to a being more powerful, to a being more truthful, to a being more personable, to a being who has salvation power at work in you to redeem, restore, reclaim, restorate the brokenness and bring healing and wholeness into your life. Oh, how that is very true indeed. I think most people would agree that our identity is comprised by our values, our experience, and our relationships. That's often what seems to shape and form us. And ultimately, I believe the most, um, the most profound and powerful element of our identity is found in the place where our values come from. In other words, if you are deriving your value from society, you're going to look a certain way. If you're um, deriving your values from your family of origin, you're going to look and act a certain way. If you're deriving your sense of identity from what other people in school tell you is and who you're supposed to be, you're going to look and act and behave a certain way. It's made up. And so the, the source of our values become very, very important. The, the people that we gather in our lives become very, very important. And the experiences that we walk through in our lives and how we interpret them matter greatly in the forming and the shaping of our identity. I really do believe that for the people who want to call themselves Christians and followers of Jesus, that our identity must be from the value of which God has set in our lives and nothing else. In other words, my value and my identity is not a father first. My identity and my value is a son of God first. It's not my gender, it's not my race, it's not my socioeconomic reality, and it's not my education that define my identity. My identity is found in the person of Jesus and the common union I have with him. And if your identity is not first and foremost shaped around the, the understanding that you are a son and a daughter of the Most High, your identity has some problems. And the formation of that identity needs to be realigned and adjusted to the truth of who God is. N.T. Wright, a, a Bible scholar and a New Testament professor, writes in his book, Scripture and the Authority of God, around this idea of who am I. And he says this, the question, who am I, can no longer be answered as easily as it once could. No longer, quote unquote, the master of my fate, the captain of my soul. See, the individual looks within and discovers a seething ebb and flow of different impulses. 
Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, which boils down in popular discourse to saying that the very act of observing things change the things you observe, works just as well, worryingly, when you look in the mirror. The Bible has a good deal to say about who we are as human beings and or as members of God's people and or as followers of Jesus, not the least that we are made in God's image and called to be people in whom that image is being renewed. We thus find that to hold in our minds and hearts what the Bible says about who we are and to do our best to live by that clashes head on with our culture, which questions and challenges not only the Christian view of who we are, but all fixed and settled views of personal identity. See, the Apostle Paul is writing to us in Ephesians 6 and all throughout the book of Ephesians trying to help us know what our identity is in this family of God. As this new community of faith and understanding is being formed and shaped, he's wanting us to understand not only the adversary we're against, but how that adversary is coming for your identity so that you are shaken, confused, and lost and disoriented in your world so that you don't move forward, you don't progress, and you certainly don't grow in your understanding of union with God. In fact, earlier in Ephesians, he introduces this understanding of this new identity of who we're supposed to be in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have a paper Bible, just kind of flip a couple pages to the left. If you have the digital version, just kind of click a couple to the left. Go to Ephesians 4 verse 11 and listen to how Paul talks about this identity formation that's occurring in our lives. He says this in verse 11, Ephesians 4, 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophet, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. That just tells you that I am a gift from God for you. You're welcome. He goes on to say, he's given us all of these gifts. Verse 12, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. They will continue until we all, everybody say all. Till we all come to such a unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature. Somebody say mature. So that we will be mature in the Lord. Measuring up. Oh, I love this phrase. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. He goes on to say, then we will no longer be immature like little children. We won't be tossed and blown about. Don't miss this. By every wind of new teaching, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with, what's that next word if you've got your Bible open? Lies. What's the devil's strategy again? Lies. 
How is he trying to attack your identity of who you are and your value in this world and how you're being shaped and formed? He's trying to do it with lies. Trying to convince you that you're something that you're not. We will not be influenced by people who try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church, and he makes the whole body fit perfectly together. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Your identity and my identity is more of a progress bar, not a color gradient bar that evolves in color as we become more self-aware, as the world would try to tell you that you are. See, the world wants you to think that your identity is about becoming more and more colorful, more and more alive, more and more self-aware and full of self-love and full of self-evidence and full of self-confidence and full of yourself. It's not a color gradient of evolution of how you are evolving and becoming more fully alive and more aware of yourself and more, more alive in your desires and your passions and your hearts. That's the world's view. No, no, no. What we see here in Ephesians is that your life, your maturity, your identity is more of a status progress as you're installing some new software known as the Christian life. How's your progress bar of your identity coming? Till you reach maturity, till you come to the full stature and measure and standard that is Christ Jesus. So, so the question is, on an on a ever-growing scale of, of a loading bar, as you install new software into your life, are you more like Christ today than you were yesterday? Or is your progress of becoming the image and stature of fullness of Christ stalled out a little bit? Have you stopped maturing and growing in your faith and identity as a little one who looks like Jesus? Oh, see, because if you've been following Jesus for a little while, but you're still as greedy as ever... It's time to mature and start moving forward. You've stalled out in your progress. If you're still living your life for sensuality and pleasure and you're chasing those things, your progress bar has stalled out. It's time to see it move forward. If you're still getting drunk and high with your friends on the weekend, it's time to move your progress bar forward. If every time someone comes at you with correction and you respond angrily and defensively, it's time to move forward in your progress bar to become more like Jesus. If every time you're holding on to something this bad that happens in your life and bitterness is growing rather than forgiveness growing, it's time for your progress bar to move forward. You've stalled out in your identity. Your identity has stopped progressing as you have stopped maturing in your faith following Jesus. If you believe and have the emotional feelings when you come to church and it all feels really good, but you cannot intellectually and accurately articulate what the Bible actually teaches and you only have a feeling of what you think is right, 
it's time to progress in your knowledge and maybe you should sign up for summer school so you learn some things. Radiant people are marked by the identity of Christ putting on his full armor. Putting on the full armor, putting on the full identity of who Christ has made you to be. What Christ has presented and made possible for you. It's an invitation to grow less self-aware and more Christ transformed in you. This is the call of following Jesus. This is the call. This is why some of you, Holy Spirit, help me say this right. This is why some of you are keep getting your can kicked by the enemy week in and week out because you stopped progressing and you said one prayer one time. And you thought, oh, I'm good. No, no, no. The invitation is actually to progress. Your identity to be formed by Jesus, not by the rest of the world, not by your socioeconomic status, not by your job, and and the achievement of your life, it's actually found in your allegiance to Jesus, not your achievement in the world. Your identity to be shaped by him. And if we're going to be the radiant people who stand in the battle and as it rages around us, we've got peace and we've got joy and we still standing laughing at the enemy who's trying to come at us, it's going to require our identity to grow and progress until we reach the full measure of the complete stature of the standard that is Jesus Christ. In our lives. That's the invitation to become the radiant people of God. Now, many people think that in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is talking and using armor pieces that reference the Roman armor guard and what they were wearing. I think that's a help, helpful picture, especially as we talk about some of the elements of what the armor looked like and how it helped them. I think that's a helpful frame of mind and picture to have in your mind. Maybe you've Watch some gladiator movies and you've seen Spartan and you've seen those guys, how they fight and work. And uh, you've seen all of these movies and it's kind of created a picture in your head as to what they were. I think that's helpful. But can I tell you where Paul was actually referencing? What was actually forming and shaping his understanding of our identity in Christ? It's actually the Old Testament, which is found the armor first introduced this language in Isaiah 59. Let's go real, real quick there. Flip to Isaiah 59. Let me read you just a section in, in, in Isaiah 59. Uh, the prophet is talking about the impact of sin. What is sin? Sin are the actions, the attitudes, and the heart posture that disconnect and distort our ability to have proper relationship with God. That disengage our communion and fellowship with God Almighty. That remove us from his presence rather than strengthen us in his presence. This is what sin is. And he's talking about how these things have impacted their life. And Isaiah 59, in fact, I encourage you this week to go back and read the whole chapter of Isaiah 59 to get this understanding. But let me read you just a few verses. Isaiah 59, starting in verse 12, says this. For our sins are piled up before God and they testify against us. Yes, we know what sinners we are. We know we have rebelled and have denied the Lord. We have turned our backs on God and we know how unfair and oppressive we have been, carefully planning our deceitful 
lies. Our courts oppose the righteous and justice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets and honesty has been outlawed. Yet truth is gone. And anyone who renounces evil, they're getting attacked. Does that sound like cancel culture to you? The world in which we're living right now? Oh, how it is. Then the Lord looked and was displeased to find there was no justice. He was amazed to see no one intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm and his justice sustained him. He put on righteousness as his body armor and he placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. This was Paul's understanding of our identity that is shaped by the Savior who steps in to remove sin which has distorted your identity and my identity and helping us be restored to the image of God that we were created to bear long ago. And I love how Isaiah is so clear. And Paul brings it back into play when he's sitting there saying, oh, how the lies have created an illusion for you. And oh, how no one would stand and speak truth. So God stepped in himself. Where the son of God became the son of man and took on human form. So that one day the sons of man could give their faith and place their hope in God. And they themselves could become sons and daughters of God as well. Oh, how the saving arm of God makes it possible for sin to not be the hurdle to your identity being restored back to the image of God that you were originally created to embrace, to bear, and to show forth. This is what God is trying to get us to see in our identity and our understanding. It's his power at work in us to transform us back to the image of the stature of the fullness of the complete measure of Christ, to progress from sinner, oh, till we look more like the Savior. That's the invitation of becoming radiant. That's what it looks like to become and progress in being the radiant people of God. And he's given us these elements of our identity, and we've been unpacking them. Last week, we talked about the belt of truth, the body armor of righteousness, and the shoes of peace. Let me recap it real quick for you. The belt of truth, this is the truth that we have been united with Christ. You can be united with Christ, or you could be untied in your sinful self, The only difference is what do you do with the I? Are you submitted to the great I am and being united with him? Or are you living for your own self as an individual and being untied in communion with the Lord? That's the truth that you have to examine in your own heart. Where is your surrender? 
Where is your affection? Where is your allegiance? That's what ties you to the truth of who Jesus is. Then he says he's given us the body armor of righteousness. Righteousness means right standing with God. It, it, it covers all the most vital areas of our heart and our lungs and, and, and the areas of our life that need to be protected by the enemy's onslaught to convince you that you are being rejected by God. But God gives you his righteousness instead and says you are being made righteous by God. Not being rejected by God. And oh, how that's important. See, many of us stall in our progress. We think God is rejecting us when really he's trying to give us his righteousness instead and inviting us into a life of repentance. And he's eliminating the shame that grows in our hearts by giving us his righteousness to cover and purify our hearts. The belt of truth, the body armor of righteousness, and the shoes of peace. Man, have you ever met somebody so nervous that like they can't hardly like like stand still and they're all all worried and like we 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 have not made our peace with God and so we fear death all the more? Because we're just, I don't know, did I do enough? Did I do this? Is it this? Is it that? No, no, no. See, when you are united with Christ and you've been given his righteousness, you can stand in peace before God. And you don't have to worry when you come into church. You can stand in peace with God because you're united and tied to him and he's given you his righteousness and you can then take steps that move you forward confidently to grow in the Lord because he's given you his peace, his wholeness and your feet are fitted with that. And that brings us to the last three pieces of the armor. The first is the shield of faith. Somebody say the shield of faith. Now let's look at Hebrews 11 and try to define this word faith. Hebrews 11, it's towards the back of your Bible. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 1, says this, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Faith is a substantive thing. Faith is not an intellectual thing. Faith is not an emotional thing. Faith is an embodied allegiance to Jesus. Not an intellectual agreement with who Jesus is. You, when you begin to read the New Testament and you see this word faith, faith, faith. In fact, here in verse 2, look at what it says. It says, through their faith, the people in the day of old earned a good reputation. In other words, if you read all of Hebrews 11, you'll find how people throughout the story of God lived in a way that showed their faith. It doesn't articulate what they were thinking. It doesn't articulate an emotional moment. It's articulating a life of faith, a movement in a direction. Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For anyone, don't miss this, who comes to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. For, for the Jewish mind, belief wasn't a matter of what you thought. Belief was a matter of what you did. 
In other words, belief could not be identified by what you say. Belief was identified by how you lived your life. Faith is a movement. That's why these big shields they would carry weren't just to cower in fear, but were actually designed to stand with others together in faith and move forward in steps. As the fiery arrows were slung from their enemy, they would take another step forward together. Why? Because faith is all about taking your next steps. It's about embodying an understanding of who God is in a way that causes me to live differently, act differently, obey differently. And that shield protects you. How do I know that my identity isn't being detracted from because I'm showing up every Sunday with other people of faith to remind myself of God's goodness and his power and who he is. I'm going to link arms with other people and I'm going to serve others around me. I'm going to give until there's no more need among us. I'm going to be a person who is all about it, not just talks around it. Faith is an action that we embody, not just an intellectual or an emotional thing that we agree with one day. And that's why we not only have the shield of faith, but we have the helmet of salvation. This helmet guards our minds. The mind games of the enemy is to bring doubt that God is at work transforming you in your life. Salvation is, is not just one thing. The Bible talks about salvation in the form of many things. Salvation uh, from the penalty of sin. God has saved us from the pull and power of sin each and every day. And one day we will be saved eternally from the very presence of sin in our world. Romans 8, 29 and 31 says this, For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. Radiant people progress in their image to look more like his son. So that his son would be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing, righteousness with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. That's the spirit of God living within you. What shall we say about such wonderful things of these? If God is for you, who can be against you? That's the mindset we hold on to, knowing that he is at work to save our souls when he returns. Ephesians chapter 2, 4 through 9 says, But God is so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sin, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace, his spirit at work, that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us in with him in heavenly realms. In other words, salvation is coming one day when you experience the resurrection of Christ because you've lived a loyal allegiance to him believing in who Jesus really is and becoming more like him. Titus 3, 4, and 7, listen to how it says it. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy, he washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 5 and verse 9 says it like this. In this same way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest. He's talking about Jesus here. And Jesus became the source of eternal salvation for those, don't miss this, 
who obey him. Not walk the aisles and knelt down and prayed a prayer one day. I like prayer. Prayer is important. Prayer can be the starting point of your repentance. But repentance is a moment where you turn around and begin to walk in progress till you become closer and closer with Jesus. That's how you embody your faith. You keep walking towards Jesus. That's how faith is in action. You keep taking another step towards Jesus. You keep growing in the progression of Jesus. The event is repentance. The event is surrender. The event is a confession that Jesus is Lord and you renounce all other allegiances in your life. It is Christ alone that you are trusting as you take steps of loyal affection and adoration and allegiance to Jesus. This is how we keep our minds clear and quit buying into the lies that the enemy would try to whisper to you. I think salvation is an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's not just a momentary moment. I think we, we begin in a moment, but it's an ongoing process in our lives. I realize I'm jacking with some of your Baptist theology, but uh, not just to call out the Baptist. That's sorry, that was a low. And some of your Pentecostal theology. And some of you are thinking, I was once saved, I'm always saved. I think that's a faulty question to begin with. And you, I ain't got time to get on that soapbox and walk you through the scripture and tell you how wrong you are for thinking that way. Stop it. Get behind me. I don't even like the phrase, have you been saved? Or the statement, go get saved as if you can do it on your own. It's the power of God anyways. Amen. Hear me. I think salvation, again, is more, more than a moment of a decision. It starts with the decision. And it's followed by obedience and allegiance to him. The Greek word for the word faith in your Bible is the Greek word pistis. That word pistis throughout understanding of Greek understanding in the first and second century was primarily understood in terms of loyal allegiance, not emotional belief. Why? Because the saving work of Jesus is his power through the spirit at work in you that you are continually walking in communion and surrender and salvation is as much, much an eventual thing that begins now but is progressing all the more. Salvation isn't just one thing in the Bible, it's many things. It's a word that is used to describe many things in your life. It talks about justification and righteousness and sanctification and holiness and obedience and surrender and repentance and forgiveness. And it's a word that talks about all of those things and that having the right mind keeps you from believing the lie that because I'm American, I'm going to heaven keeps you from believing the lie that I prayed a prayer when I was seven and I got in the waters of baptism and so I can go live my life like hell now. And it's a lie. 
to think to yourself, well, I've gotten to the point where I've done some good for God and I've got enough good than bad. No, you're powerful. As good as your good deeds are, there are nothing compared to the righteousness that you need in Christ Jesus. Why? Because there is an ongoing progress to become the image and the fullness of Christ. And what protects me in that is knowing that as I'm doing those things, nothing can snatch me from his hands. Nothing is going to shake my heart and my mind. Nothing is going to keep me from holding my faith and allegiance and moving forward one more step at a time as I move in his direction. And then he says, I want you to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword, cutting through, dividing out what is soul, your own thoughts, and who you are, and your own identity is shaped by the world, and what is the spirit of God at work in you to will and do in the pleasure of God. The Bible, the scriptures, It's powerful to dismantle and transform the lies and the attacks of the enemy. When Satan came tempting Jesus to give up his allegiance and faith in God, when Satan came attacking the very identity of Jesus in the desert, Jesus fought off the enemy and resisted the enemy's advancements using the word of of God, the B-I-B-L-E, the Holy Scriptures. Friends, we have to learn to pray God's Word. We've got to learn how to read the Word. We've got to become people who speak the Word. We need to become people who study the Word. Studying is different than reading. You don't need a biblical educational degree to study the Word of God. You need the Holy Spirit who wrote the Word of God living in you and someone else to come alongside you in discipleship and help you understand how to study it. So enroll in the summer school class that says how to study the Bible. You're welcome. Why? Because we, as leaders in this family, are going to equip you to become the full measure and stature of Christ. And I'm not going to quit until you reach eternity or he has been made perfect when he returns. We're not giving up on that. You may have given up, but you can restart. You can take another step in the right direction. Friends, when we understand our identity, these elements of his righteousness and our peace and his salvation and our faith and the word of God and the truth that we're united in Christ, it gives us communion with God and it establishes a radiant identity as a child of God. And that has to become, these have to become the main identity markers of who we are. I said it before, but before you're a father or a mother, you are a child of God. Before you are a salesperson or a banker or a nurse, you are a child of God. Before you are a white, Hispanic, or black, you are a child of God. 
Your identity is in who God is and the work of Jesus in your life to give you righteousness, bring you truth tied to him, to give you peace, to give you faith that moves you forward, to protect your mind with the truth of his salvation work in your life, both now and ongoing until eternity. Oh, and he's given you the word. Friends, our world is filled with broken, insecure, striving people. It's John Tyson says, but God offers us a new way to live, he says. He writes us to live a, he invites us to live a life that is not plagued by doubt, but is full of confident faith and allegiance. A life that is not rooted in insecurity, but is grounded in his love. A life that is not filled with attempts to quote unquote be good but that it is stunningly beautiful and holy in our life. God is inviting us to leave behind our ordinary lives and live extraordinary lives that reflect his goodness and power. In him, we can live life uh, firmly grounded upon his supernatural love and filled with his power to do the works that he has called us to do. Friends, this is the invitation to become a radiant people of God, to take on his identity and to progress in life. Would you stand with me? We're gonna take a couple minutes and come to the table of the Lord. If you have the elements, I'm gonna invite you to pull them out. Go ahead and open the bread and then you can flip it over and open the juice hold on to them. And then here in a minute, when we're all done, you'll be able to dispose of your cups on your way out of the sanctuary today. We're ending here at the table of the Lord. And so just want to give you those practical instructions. Would you just begin to close your eyes for a second? in the status bar of growing to become more like Jesus? Are you seeing the progress in your identity and your formation or have you stalled out somewhere? And the enemy is convincing you that this is the right way to live and this is okay to live. Where are you in your progress? we stand here with these elements, you may have never made the decision to surrender your life to Jesus as King and Lord. You've never moved the eye from untied to becoming united in Christ. You've been living as your own Lord and chief executive officer of your life, trying to become more self-aware But today the invitation is for you to make a choice and surrender, maybe for the first time. Some of you, you're coming to a moment today and you know you need to repent and get rid of some of the identity markers that you've been holding onto, some of the activity that has been shaping you. 
that's actually been causing you to sin and distort your communion and connection with God. We have an opportunity to move in his direction today. Maybe today it's your moment to say, Jesus, be exalted. Jesus, be exalted. God, you be exalted. You be exalted. is our prayer. Lord, we honor you. So Lord, we take the bread today and we say our bodies want to follow you and live to be reflective of your life. We receive this bread today as a commitment of our surrender. Let's take the bread. And though we take the cup, which represents your forgiving power to cleanse us from all of our sins and restore our communion. We receive this forgiveness today. Let's receive the cup. Come on, sing that chorus one more time. Be exalted. Come on, lift your voice. Let it be your prayer. Be exalted. Be exalted. Oh, Lord. Be exalted. Be exalted, Lord. So, Lord, you hear our hearts surrender to you today. Our desire to move in your direction, God, would you help us to take steps of faith this week? Steps that demonstrate and reveal our allegiance and loyalty to you. Steps that are motivated because we've received your life in us. So Lord, whether we need to sign up for summer school, go to get prayer at the prayer spot, or maybe sign up for water baptism, God, would you help us to open your word this week and pursue you this week and strengthen our communion with you this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Hey, let's speak blessing over one another this morning. It's up on the screen, nice and strong. Speak life, ready. Let's read it. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Hey,